Mysteries to Die For is sponsored by Down and Out Books, who is having a social distancing sale. Liars, thieves, and murderers keep you company while flesh and bone people have to stay six feet away. 39 titles provide options for every taste. Go to downandoutbooks.com for titles and pricing. Look for me at the end of the line. T.G. Wolf with Widow's Run. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and editor. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own stories. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. This is season one. The first half of the season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today's episode builds from the previous two. Really, you have to listen in order for the story to make sense. Start with the episode called, What a Lovely Corpse You Have, and catch up to us. We'll be here for you. We've listed a cast of character in the show notes to help you keep track of the players. To recap, our hero, Diamond, has faked her death, burying the mainstream suburban professional she was to resurrect her CIA cover. Why? She needs to do what the police won't, investigate her husband's death. In the last episode, between a carjacking and a serenade, Diamond discovered the quinoa her scientist husband had locked in a bank box the day before his death. Interested is the big agriculture lobbyist, Buford Winston, who just became Diamond's suspect number one. We join her now as she is blackmailed into doing a little favor for a friend. Today's story is about a cheater, disappointments, and direction. This is episode three. Wanted, sophisticated slut, must have three inch heels. The stiletto heels of my knee-high boots clicked as I stepped onto the small islands of concrete adrift in a sea of rubble. The city long ago forgot this patch of nowhere existed, leaving it to reclamation by feral beasts of all species. My target was the squat building wearing a mishmash of 60s, 90s, and Y2K renovations. It looked like everybody ran out of money before the job was done. Still, the building stood when others had fallen, surviving the urban apocalypse like a cockroach without the good sense to die. Around the joint, an ad hoc parking lot took over the space demoed buildings left behind. Crushed glass sprinkled across the parking lot like sugar on a donut, glistening under the happy-ass afternoon sun. The hideaway. Yeah, it was hidden, like a zip on the tip of my nose. The plywood front door was painted black and had a pull handle covered in God knew what. Inside was a cave for nocturnal humans, offering cover from the offensive light of day. My eyes were blinded by the darkness, but my nose picked up the scent of the dregs of humanity. 
Cheap booze was the drink of the day, and a good portion of it spilt on the floor and was left to season. My eyes adjusted quickly, and let me tell you, the place was as pretty as it smelled. A long, narrow bar with salvaged stools was making their final stand. Five square tables stood there, all empty. The patrons eschewed them for the battle-weary bar. Seven pairs of eye focused on me. The only pair looking at the daytime crap on the television belonged to Ian Black. Black turned his attention to me when I was two seats away. His gaze raked up and down, a clinical assessment of my wardrobe. My designer dress cost more than most of the cars in the parking lot. I wore it sprayed on, showing off a rack that didn't need bodywork. The skirt ended a few inches south of Treasure Island, and then a nice length of knee ran into the knee-high boots. You're skinny. Black turned back to the television, raising his beard to hide his mouth. Not used to you without the hair. When it came to my hair, he wasn't the only one not used to it. My own reflection still surprised me each morning. I traded long hair, wide, full, and highlighted blonde, for short, sexy, and my natural dark chocolate, a color I hadn't worn since virgin days. You're not going to be seeing me long enough to get used to it. Get on with this before I walk from this STD incubator. <laughs> You're not walking. We both know it. Sit down. Pulling the stool next to him, I leaned my weight against the battered wooden frame. Nice place. You come here often? Too often. When the bartender drifted down to our slice of heaven, he ordered a beer for me, passing on the optional glass. The guy, to your right. Since I no longer had hair to throw over my shoulder to steal a glance, I stood and turned to hang my purse from the seat back. The eyes I looked into were watching mine. I let a slow, steamy smile grow, as though I liked what I saw. Black nudged my arm. I shot a displeased glare back at him before winking at my mark and sitting like the lady I am. Story? Black drained his beer, pushing it away as the bartender placed cold ones in front of us. Disability scam. You're flirting with Montgomery Rand, employed by my client for 88 days, two less than the probation period when a, quote, accident made him unfit for work. I looked over my shoulder again at the man-child sitting six chairs away. He was in his 20s. He had not grown the baby fat. Dark wheat hair flopped onto his forehead. Light brown eyes showed intelligence despite his current choice of venues. He probably shaved once a week. You don't need a blade when you don't have whiskers. I'm guessing Mr. Durand wasn't going to make the cut. Nope. I turned back, looking at Black in the mirror behind the bar. What's the deal? Why do you need me? I've been on him for two weeks. He's either good or he's the luckiest bastard alive. Any chance he's actually hurt? No witnesses to the accident. The scene was a little too good according to my client. He moans, he groans, and he walks like the tin man, but doesn't reach his eyes. You hurt like that and it shows in the eyes. Yeah, it does. I pulled a tin man a time or two. You get to a certain point and pain wasn't put away in a drawer. It permeated your life until you were the asshole who made the deli girl cry because the extra lean corned beef, well, it wasn't lean enough. I stole another look. Ran pecked at a tablet with his thick fingers. His brows were furrowed and his tongue repeatedly swept over his lower lip. Concentration, determination, 
but no pain. Painkillers? Ian shrugged. That shows, too, when you know what to look for. Which we do. Okay, classic play. You want me to get him into a compromising position so you can snap your dirty pictures? It's a classic for a reason. Black turned to me then. Anybody watching would see his attention fully on me when it was really on his quarry. How do you want to do this? I leapt off the stool, sending it crashing to the floor behind me. You son of a bitch! You're cutting me off! Half of this shit is mine, and I worked hard for it! Black came off his stool after me. You call spreading your legs hard work for it? A washing machine works harder than you, and it's wetter, too. Oh, I slapped him. I didn't pull it. The crack cut through the air like a heavy chainsaw. Some men stared, some snickered at the poor loser's predicament. You limp-dicked asshole. Don't you dare. Bitch! He came at me, grabbing my dress, but the tight fabric had no give. I slid under his arm and pushed him away. The bartender stepped up, baseball bat in his hands. As entertaining as this all is, it needs to end. Black jabbed his index finger at me. You haven't heard the end of this. He kicked the stool, sending it sliding across the grimy aisle, then stalked to the door and hit it with the flat of his hand. A blast of white light assaulted the bar, arms hastily covered eyes as vampires recoiled with a hiss, ending Act 1. Act 2 was all on me, and completely improvised. With all the grace of a sophisticated slut, I turned back to the bar, ran my hands over my breasts and down my stomach to smooth my dress, and then I finished my beer. Hey, um, you, uh, drop this. Rand's head appeared in the mirror over my shoulder. I turned around, tits first. My purse dangled from his hand. Thank you. It's nice to know there are still a few gentlemen in the world. I accepted my purse, withdrew my lipstick, and then repaired my undamaged mouth. Cocked my head, letting my gaze roam from the wide eyes stared to the faded t-shirt, to the more faded jeans, to the sandals. What's your name? Um, Monty. You? Diamond. My gaze back on his. I pursed my lips as if considering and then smiled invitingly. Are you in the mood for a little fun, Monty? His eyes glistened with hope. Um, what did you have in mind? Opening the wallet I snatched from Black's pocket, I withdrew a credit card. An early dinner, a little wine, and then who knows? Wine always makes me, you know, a little crazy. My car's outside. He didn't hesitate. I walked as quickly as the heels allowed. Thought I might get lucky and have him break into a run. Black would have his eyes on us, along with some high-speed film. A little trot out of Monty, and my part of the deal was done. Monty's voice came from behind me. You, uh, have great legs. I like the boots. I looked over my shoulder to where he shuffled along. His gaze went from my ass to my eyes and back to my ass. Appreciating the view, he lacked the motivation to run. I quickened my pace, but he kept his. I tripped, my heel sliding off one of the concrete islands. His hand shot out to mine, but his body did not. Something held him in reserve. Black was right. 
Either Monty was a platinum club con man or the luckiest bastard alive. I reassessed the vintage nerve vibe he gave off. Nope, I wasn't buying it. He wasn't half as slick as he gave him credit self he gave himself credit for. So, um, where are we going? <laughs> to burn a little hole in this black credit card. I drove to a part of town a sophisticated slut would frequent, and to a restaurant with a sick sweet wait list for primetime dining. At this time of day, Monty and I walked in. Well, almost. Will you stop fussing? The jacket looks good on you. My index finger danced suggestively around the lip of my wine glass. Monty ran his hand inside the collar of the borrowed suit coat, stopping at my direction. His gaze again and again swept around the well-appointed room. Each time, his tongue licked his lips as though he was savoring the taste of the good life. I, uh, I don't like wearing other people's clothes. He glared like a belligerent child but stopped tugging at the coat. So, your boyfriend's going to be pissed you swiped his card? <laughs> What's his is mine, etc., etc. I waved my hand like the king himself. We small talked through appetizers, washed down with a $100 bottle of wine. Monty didn't like the taste of the wine, but he liked the price and the class, so he drank it without complaint. By the time the most expensive dishes on the menu were served, he relaxed, convinced himself he belonged in this place. He ran his hands down the borrowed wool, smoothing the fine material over his soft chest. I, I noticed you walk with a limp, I said as I sipped my wine. Is there a story behind it? Industrial accident, Monty didn't expound. I linked my fingers and rested my chin on my hands. Ooh. I am intrigued. Tell me more. He shrugged, looking about the restaurant, measuring the worth of the few diners. My timing had been off. He wanted to see himself as a man with the coin and the standing to be in this restaurant with a woman such as moi. He didn't want to be the warehouse forklift driver. Listen, you don't want to tell me what really happened? I'm okay with that. Tell me your story. Well, his eyes widened in surprise. Then his gaze drifted up and to the right. He wasn't looking at something, but concocting his story. I watched his face, his body, further acquainting myself with his mannerisms. He drained his glass and then refilled it. So, um, I worked as a manager for a warehouse for like a big tech firm. I mean, big. Monty sighed, shaking his head. You would be shocked at the type of people we get in the warehouse. Losers, burnouts, ex-cons, everyone has a story to sell. What I could do with a handful of intelligent human beings. He waved his hand, bringing himself back on topic. We, um, we'd been training this new guy on the forklift. It's as simple as they come, but the guy's got two left feet. He already pierced a shipping container. He turned 10 grand of inventory into trash in under two minutes. The guy was on his last chance. I had him moving a few pallets to make room for an expected delivery. A basic a job as I could give him. About 10 minutes in, I go over to check on him and don't I see crates stacked way past protocols, teetering like a Jenga tower. Without thinking about what I was doing, I ran to the guy. I pull him off the forklift seconds before. He set his elbow on the table, hand in the air, and let it fall to the table with a thud. We, um, we got clear, but my back. He winced, for the first time I'd seen any indication of discomfort. 
I plastered care and concern on my face. Bad news? The worst. It, um, it may never be right. I can't work like this. Look at me, I can't move. Monty rotated five degrees to one side and five degrees to the other. I can't move, I can't work. He was so full of shit, his eyes were brown. Well, that's disappointing, I pouted, full bottom lip out. So you can't? I wrinkled my nose as I held up my fork and let it fall to the table. His brows furrowed in a V. No, uh, no, no, it's not like that. <laughs> His depravity did have limits. Screw the company, no biggie. Imply that he can't screw, biggie. <sighs> Good, because I thought we'd take dessert back to your place. Uh, my place? For an instant, the smallest instant, he looked embarrassed. Why not yours? I rolled my eyes. For obvious reasons? Look, if you want it to end here, just say so. I thought we could keep the good times rolling, but if you're not up to a party... I shrugged like it didn't matter. I raised my hand for the check. I, uh, I didn't say that. He looked around to see if he could be heard. Think I can keep the jacket? I kind of like it. <laughs> On you, it's one of a kind. I handed the waiter Black's credit card. With the swipe and a handheld device, we were free and clear. Well, almost. Here's the plan, Monty leading forward in conspiracy. We get up, walk to the door, and then run like hell to your car. It worked for me. The run like hell part sounded like a photo op. One problem, I straightened my legs to show off the three inch heels. I don't run. How about this? I'll leave now, pull the car around, then you can run like hell and jump into the car. He nodded like a bobblehead. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's do it. I stood, picked up my purse, and walked out the door with hot sophistication. As promised, I retrieved the car and waited at the end of the valet canopy. I didn't see black, but the man could disappear in broad daylight. The doors were thrown open, and Monty burst out like a pudgy bull of Pamplona. He ran stiffly, arms circling, hair falling in his eyes, a braggart's grin on his face. The doors flung open again, and the elegant maitre d' in his black suit and fitted vest leapt through the air, catching my guy in a flying tackle. Monty's eyes were wide as he was felled. The maitre d' came up first, planting his foot on Monty's neck while stripping the finely woven wool from his back. I enjoyed the unfolding scene, knowing Black was getting every frame. In a minute, it was over. The maitre d' and jacket were back inside the halls of Chez Trick Restaurant, and Monty poured himself into my passenger seat. He, uh, he was stronger than he looked. Monty examined his elbows and his knees. Fast, too. I pulled into traffic. Well, you win some, you lose some. My phone rang. I dug blindly into my purse and came up with the screen with a black square. I accepted the call for me in black. You got it? I didn't get it. A litany of curses followed. How did you not get it? Equipment malfunction. Background sound moved to the foreground. Heavy breathing, a door slamming, a motor starting. Take him to his place and keep him on the ground floor. Use the bedroom. I can get a clear shot if the shade is up. You gotta buy me 15 minutes to get into place. 
I'll give you one more chance. You blow it and you are on your own. I disconnected before he could negotiate. Was uh, that your boyfriend? You sound tough. Monty winced as he picked sidewalk sand out of his elbows and knees. I am tough. There's no other way to survive in this world. He needs to learn to appreciate a woman like me. I didn't listen to the crap I spewed at him, but Monty did, nodding because he wanted to lose his virginity. I glanced at the clock, nearly four. I needed to create Black's 15 minutes. I need gas. Taking the side roads, we wandered a mile out of the way to a station. Nice, um, nice neighborhood. The hundred-year-old homes with their four bedrooms and three baths, their two-car garages and 3.2 kids with optional dog were just part of the landscape. Nice enough, if you like that sort of thing. Another turn and we were back on a commercial strip, opting for function over form. Two traffic lights and we pulled into the gasoline oasis. Twelve pumps, no waiting. Monty opened his door, wrapped his hands around the frame, and then pulled himself out. I'm uh, going to run inside. You want anything? And to think I thought he was going to be a gentleman and pump gas. Did I want anything? Time. How about a bottle of water and some mints? Cool. Um, have you got any cash on you? I hate to use a card for a few bucks. I flipped a 20 across the trunk, knowing I wasn't seeing any change. I should have given him Black's credit card. Ten to one, he'd have bought $100 worth of ding-dongs and ho-hos. The pump finished in no time, which is what it took to dispense five gallons. I leaned against the car, waiting patiently for the loser. Of all the gigs Black had to pull, seducing a post-acne 20-something with a hormone-to-sense ratio of 100 to 1, this sucked. Real work waited. I didn't have time to goof around with this little kid. Monty came out sucking down a Red Bull. I got my water and my mints, no change. Business done, we headed across town, passing the restaurant 12 minutes after we left it. I stayed within the posted speed limit, which was akin to pulling my fingernails out one at a time, but Black got the rest of the time he wanted. Montgomery Rand resided in a 1,200 square foot colonial with paint curling from the wood and packed dirt where grass should have been. I leaned down, scoping out the structure through the car window. It wasn't hard to pick out the spots likely hiding Ian Black. Monty mimicked my pose. My uh, uncle owns it. He lets me stay here in exchange for taking care of the place. <laughs> Looks like you've been doing a stellar job of it. Once begun is half done, so I opened my door and moved the game forward. Monty pried himself out of the car and lurched ahead of me. He moved stiffly again, as though something prevented him from moving freely. He pitched his body sideways to the stairs and stepped up one at a time. A practice move. If I had known I was going to have a guest, I, uh, I would have cleaned. Great. Black really owes me for this. The house itself was decorated an old lady, except for the media system. A 55-inch flat screen sat in front of a couch patterned in red and purple flowers. A coffee table that a cat had used as a scratching post was cluttered with gaming controllers. The house was as neat and clean as any apartment occupied by five 20-year-old guys and their pet goat. Disinfection was definitely on tap for the third half of my day. Cozy, I said as I made myself at home, 
memorizing the layout of the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, condemnable half bath, and bingo, the bedroom. Come here, Monty. We can, uh, we can go upstairs. With just me, I don't go up there much, just to shower, but you know, I don't use those rooms, so there. My mouth on his stopped his running babble. My hands on his torso, I felt the brace making him move like the Tin Man. I pulled my head back, but kept my fingers running seductively around the edge of the Velcro bindings. You need this? Wouldn't you rather feel me, my skin on yours? Monty grabbed the ends of his t-shirt and stripped it. The white medicinal girdle squeezed his doughy breasts up a cup size. His gaze on me, he yanked the bindings and the Velcro cried out, Oh man, this is really going to happen, isn't it? Yes, Monty, this is really going to happen. I knew it. As soon as I saw you walk in, a cougar on the prowl. He let the girdle drop and then went for the button on his fly. Steve and Wilson are not going to believe this. He pulled one leg out and then the other. Can I take a picture? I backed him up until the rumpled bed took his legs out from under him. Not a chance. But don't worry. I'll leave you with sex dreams enough to last you the rest of your lonely, horny life. Freaking awesome! He lifted his head. Wait, what? I straddled him, grinding against the tent post in his navy blue briefs. His head fell back, groaning with pleasure. I gave him the belly dancer routine. Hips, pelvis, slow, fast, light speed. Reaching behind, I unzipped my dress. It was one of my favorites and I wanted to protect it from slobber. Monty popped up and buried his face in my cleavage. I wrapped my arms around his head and ran my fingers through his hair. He did have nice hair, thick and soft. While Monty worked on freeing my breast, I looked toward the window. There was no telltales, but I knew somewhere a high-powered lens focused on us. Monty was into me, but he hadn't done anything acrobatic enough to call his bluff. I needed him on top. Hey, big boy. I threaded my hand between our bodies, stroking his rigid cock. Oh, shit. Will you give me what I want, I asked. Oh, yeah, anything. Get on top. No! Monty's arms clamped around me, his cock jerking in the cotton blue blend. No, 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 no! Exactly my sentiment. Another flipping equipment malfunction. This just wasn't my day. Monty fell back on his bed, the crook of his arm over his eyes. Damn it! He hit the mattress with his fist. I take it as a compliment. No, I don't. I'll get us some drinks and we'll play for a while and you'll be back in the game with twice the staying power. Gave me a whole minute to work out act three. Yeah, Monty said. Abso yeah, I leaned in and bit his lip. I'll be right back. I dismounted and exited the room. What were the odds the kid would prematurely lift off? Pacing the kitchen in my spectacular bra, panties and boots, I needed another plan. Monty had been playing his game long enough that, well, he wasn't going to blow the gig easily. That brace had kept him in check in public, and in private, he hadn't been sloppy. If he had, Black would have gotten the job done by now. How could I flush the guy out? An idea blossomed. A wickedly hot idea. The setup took a matter of minutes, which included fixing Monty the promised drink, can you call opening a can of Red Bull fixing? Hips swang, 
I re-entered the bedroom, where he was propped up on pillows like some pampered prince. I handed him the drink, walked to the window in my bra and panties, and opened it. The screen had two long tears in it, as though a cat had been dragged down the length. Eight feet below was the ground. You, uh, you are really beautiful. Truth rang in Monty's voice. Women like you, they don't look at men like me. I turned to face him, resting my bum on the sill. Men like you? You know, geniuses. I have an IQ of 153. My gut reaction was this was a lie, but I had an ear for falsities. This had the same ring of truth as his compliments on my look. Don't take this the wrong way, Monty, but if you have an IQ of 153, what the fuck are you doing here? He pulled the blanket over his body, picked at the little pills of fuzz. You have no idea what it's like. From, um, the time I was in kindergarten, my parents pushed and shoved. Extra lessons, extra studies. You're going to make something of yourself, Montgomery. A doctor, a researcher, find the cure for cancer. <laughs> no pressure, just find the fucking cure for cancer. You showed them. You quit. I quit. I like to think I found other uses for my talents. Can I tell you something? He patted the bed next to him. When I complied, he leaned toward me and whispered, I know who you are. A decade of undercover work had schooled my reactions. I let a slow, feline smile grace my lips. Who am I, Monty? Okay, I, um, I don't know who, but I know you're with him, the guy at the bar. <laughs> I rolled my eyes. Everybody knew I was with him. That was then. Now I'm with you. He shook his head. I, uh, I know you work for him. <laughs> I do not work for him. That was the easiest truth I've ever told. He's been, you know, trying for weeks to prove my injury isn't real. Dropping shit, asking me to pick it up, following me. His gaze measured my cup size. He's upped his game, and I like it. <laughs> if you believe that bullshit you're spewing... Why tell me, Monty? If I was gaming you, I'd be smart to walk away after a revelation like that. I, I told you, I'm a genius. You're not walking away from me without proof, one way or the other. I bet you're the best at what you do. He propped up a pillow, leaning against it, arms crossed behind his head. I hurt my back, on the job, just like the reports did. I understand if you need to um, verify my story. You want to hear my version of the story, Monty? I stood up, picked up my dress from the bed, and started putting it on. Once upon a time, there was a 20-year-old genius who didn't know jack shit about the world. He thinks he's smarter than everyone around him. He pulls off small-time scams and doesn't net enough cash to buy a real glass of scotch and lives high in life on hand-me-down granny homes from family too soft to turn him out. One day, this genius pulls a con on a guy with smarts who knows a pile of horseshit when he smells one. So the guy with smarts hires a guy with skills, and the guy with skills blackmails a woman on a mission. 
Now the woman on a mission, she doesn't give a rat's ass about the genius. She's, he's just a speed bump in her day. I crossed back to the window, pushed in the tabs and released the screen, letting it fall to the ground. Monty sat on the bed, his jaw unhinged and gapping. There's a fire on the other side of the door. This window, with the wide-angle lens focused on it, is the only way out. I picked up my keys, my phone, and his brace. He stared at me, a player deciding to raise or fold. His jawing mouth closed into a deep frown. That's, um, that's a pretty speech, but it doesn't do a damn thing for my broken back. His gaze went to the door, his bravado as limp as his cock. One way to know for certain. I waved my hand to the door, inviting him to call my bluff. He climbed out of bed with the grace and speed of a 90-year-old. He walked stiff-legged to the bedroom door, performing for the camera. He opened the door and looked into the hallway. <laughs> Hell looked back. A monster with a raging hunger, the fire ravaged the wall and looked at the hardwood floor. It growled and it cracked as it devoured lead-based paint and the detritus of past generations. Monty slammed the door, propping it closed with his back. My house is on fire. His gaze flashed to his phone. He was easy to read. His plan was to call the fire department and stay put. I beat him to the phone and threw it out the window. His voice went 14-year-old girl. Are you insane? You're going to get us both killed. Not both. I went to the window, straddled the sill. Landing in three-inch heels was going to be a bitch. I'd have rather jump barefoot, but the ground below was a collection of forgotten stone and dying plants. Sunlight reflected off abundant material, not organic in nature. My boots were staying on. I'm leaving now, Monty. You have a choice. Stay, die, and you don't collect the disability. Or leave, come clean on the scam, and use your big brain to build a real life. With those words of wisdom, I swung my other leg out the window and hang dropped to the ground. I managed to do it without spraining an ankle or breaking a heel. Monty appeared in the window, pulling on a t-shirt. Don't leave me! Fear tightened his voice. I'm right here. Do you have shoes on? Your wallet? Shit! He disappeared into the darker interior, then reappeared. He sat on the sill. One leg two legs. Well, almost, his heel caught on the sill. It's too far. Oh, bullshit, Monty. If I could do it at Donna Karen's, you can do it in your sneakers. Get your leg out the window. He freed his leg. He clung to the side of the house, holding the window frame like it was a floating piece of lumber from the Titanic. I, uh, I don't think I like you very much. I don't give a shit. He bicycled his legs uselessly against the clapboard. The fire is eating the door. Yep, fires will do that. You're three feet off the ground. Let go. He did. He landed off balance, fell backwards, and did a half somersault. Upside down, his legs pedaled like a bug stuck on his back. Then he fell to his side and pushed up, sitting on his butt, and then was on his feet in a moment. Black better have his money shot because this shit was over. I reached down, I reached over, congratulated Monty. He looked up through the window that was now basking in red. What, um, what happens next? Withdraw the claim and nobody has to see the pictures. You have two hours. Siren screamed in the distance. It was nice doing business with you, Montgomery Rand. I left him standing in his driveway, a stupefied look on his face as I backed into the street and raced away.
My phone chimed. I put black on Bluetooth. Tell me you got it. I am a professional. <laughs> I gave him two hours to end it on his own. Long as I get paid, fine by me. The sirens echoed in stereo, coming from behind me and through Black's call. Meet me in 15 minutes. He named a park a few miles away. You jerk me around and you will be the next body found in that creek. I disconnected, but not before I heard him chuckle. Complete lack of concern. The patch of green Ian selected was narrow, but did the job to separate where people lived from where they worked. A winding drive through 70-year-old trees ended in a long parking lot. There were runners and dog walkers and mothers with kids. Place wasn't crowded, but it was still public. I parked away from the trail using population and kept the motor running. Black pulled in next to me and then climbed into my passenger seat. He handed over a thick file. Everything I found plus what you'll need. I used photos from two years ago. I didn't know you ditched the blonde. I let my fingers walk through the pages. Police reports, interviews, still photos, conference registration lists. Did you, what are you staring at? It wasn't a creepy leer, but I still didn't like the intense facial scan. The hair, you still don't look like you. The staring didn't stop. When did you sleep last? I'm dead, I don't sleep. I pulled out a passport for Selena Mata. She had blonde hair and sported, I sported until my untimely death. Next was a plane ticket, so I'm going to Rome. Tomorrow, you have a reservation at a small hotel run by friends. Be nice, I wanna keep them. Gabriel's notebook isn't listed among any of the reports. Do you have it? I shook my head. It wasn't in the things I brought back from Rome. He didn't leave it at home, and it wasn't in the boxes from his office. You didn't pack his office. Someone at the university did. Could they have kept it? Confession time. I might not have been clinically sane for the few weeks, first few weeks after my husband died. I didn't think I was crazy at the time. But looking back, I realize I can't quite remember the details. It's like I wasn't there in person, but maybe Skyped into my own life. Those weeks were the only time I remember I let people do things for me. Big things, like packing my husband's office. I turned to Ian. Could someone have kept it? Sure. I mean, I didn't realize it was missing until I got that email. Is it possible he was killed for it? He wrote in it constantly. New ideas, tweaks, anything he didn't want to lose. And you know Gavriel, he had a lot to lose. The careless facade black war faded as if my words struck a chord. Yeah, yeah, he did. It could have been valuable in the right hands. The right hands. Fucking Buford Winston. The name shone before my eyes in red neon letters. The no good, cheap, dirty bastard. Winston lived in Oklahoma and had his tentacles in a dozen states. Why am I going to Rome? Read the file. There's a lot of questions. Where is Gabe's notebook? Who was this Russian woman? Why was Gabe outside the hotel? We need to start at the beginning. Gabe. God, I hated the nickname Black had given him. It just didn't fit. My husband, on the other hand, loved it. Said it made him feel American. 
Who would have thought the professor and the purveyor, for lack of a better term, would become poker buddies? A chance meeting, an insincere invitation, and an unlikely friendship between two men who live by their wits. There are other ways to do this. Black reached for my hand and then thought the better of it. You don't have to put yourself back out there. I know how much Gabe meant to you, but you mean a lot to us. An idea bubbled. This is the third time I'm asking you, and I expect an answer. Why did you pick my funeral for the meet? Ian turned, facing me square. I know you think you lost everything when Gabe died. Don't tell me you know, Ian. You don't know shit. I know you, and I know Gabe. He wouldn't want this for you, Diamond. He loved you. All of those people who are there today, they love you. This whole idea of you killing yourself, it's bullshit, Diamond. Emotion was a flamethrower to my throat. You think I wanted to kill myself? All I wanted was the fucking police to look at the video, to look at Gabriel being pushed in front of that fucking car and investigate. I didn't even expect them to find the bastards, you know? I know the game, I know the odds, but they wouldn't even try, Ian. They nailed his coffin shut every bit as much as the asshole who pushed him and the murderer who hit him. I tried to play it straight. I tried to go by the rules, but no, Gavriel wasn't important enough to them. He was everything to me. I swallowed, squelching the flames, pulling the hurt inside and locking it away. Anna Lutza Rubchinskaya, she played by the rules and look where it got her, a dead end. So fuck the rules. Nobody fucks the rules like Diamond. I'm going back to the beginning to follow every line, every thread, until I find the place where the son of a bitch messed up. I hadn't expected this from Ian, a guy who would sell bricks to a drowning man. In my line of work, friends weren't, lux weren't luxuries, they were liabilities. In the confines of that car, Ian felt like a friend. He didn't speak, but scrutinized me the way he might a grenade with the pin pulled. I leaned into him, a feral hunger curling my lips. Don't look so worried. I'm gonna go do what I do best. That is what I'm worried about. He cupped the back of my neck, pressing forehead to forehead. I wanna see the bastard bleed just as much as you do. Understand me, this isn't business, it's personal. You need anything, you call me. You end up dead at the end of this, and I'll fucking kill you myself. I grabbed his neck, mirroring his pose, and grinned into his dirt brown eyes. Don't worry, I've got a plan. Well, that's it for this episode of Mysteries to Die For. In two weeks, we'll pick up the story with the next chapter. First stop, Hell. If you enjoyed our twist on storytelling, help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. For less than the price of Monty's Steak Tartare Appetizer, you can join our Body Bag Brigade to help support our show. You'll receive bonus content as our thanks. Just last week, Jack published Diamond's theme for you to read by, garden by, or anything else by. Mysteries to Die For was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf and published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer.